in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Dustin Mel Bartis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you? I'm great this evening, Dustin. How are you? I'm also great. It has been a mild Texas May, but it's raining on us right now. You guys are up in where? Pennsylvania? Yep, Pittsburgh, where it rains all the time. Speaking of Pittsburgh, uh, we have a guest and he is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's Chad's good friend, and now he is your friend too, Mr. Matt Glidden. Say hello. Hello. Glad to be with you all. Glad to be with us for a Western movie today. I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about uh, this Western, Silverado from 1985. I watched it this past week. I will go ahead and say right now, it was the first time I had seen it, though I had heard about it. And I used a streaming service to watch it. And I realized that I don't really buy movies anymore. Do do either of you two? I haven't bought a physical DVD or a Blu-ray for, I don't know, probably at least three or four years. I can say that I am pretty sure this is true, that I have never purchased a DVD or a Blu-ray. What? I, I don't know what to do with that. Are you allowed to be on a movie podcast? You know, I'm around people that have them. I've I've rented them from Blockbuster and the Redbox, and uh, I have some that I ha- have acquired from pre- as presents. But all right, you've got some some movies gifted to you. I'm actually probably closer to what Matt was saying. Is that I really don't have a ton of movies. Every movie that I had, I would say ten years ago, I donated to the library because they were taking up just a big box in my garage. I never went out to, to go get them if I needed to watch something, which I guess is a weird thing to say, needed to watch something. I would probably just find a place to stream it. Well, what is, I guess we'll go to Chad with this. What's the strangest movie you've ever owned on Blu-ray or DVD? I own an 80s Care Bears movie, and I own it before I had a small child. We owned it as adults. <laughs> I think it was a gift for my wife for unbeknownst reasons and it sits on my shelf hmm and of the gifts that you've been given matt do you have a strange one or one that just maybe would surprise your friends to know like oh yeah i've got that movie no but i can say i think the dvd i've watched the most is uh waiting for guffman okay i've never seen that it's a wonderful movie you know what to get him for christmas then there you go i i will say i i currently own two movies one is a Blu-ray, and one is a DVD. The DVD is the Darjeeling Limited, which is a Wes Anderson flick. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Blu-ray is a movie called The Big Sick with Kumail Nanjiani yes. and uh, mm-hmm. Holly Hunter, Ray Romano. Uh, but the strangest movie I ever owned, uh, I, I I would say, is it's Lucky Number Slevin. You guys remember that movie with Josh Hartnett? I and, do, uh, yeah. yeah I, I actually I, I saw it in theaters. 
I bought it as a DVD back when Russell and I lived together back in like 06, 07. But the reason it's strange is because after buying it, pretty sure it stayed in the wrapper for years. After watching it once, it got tossed into like a bin or, or, or some type of tub. And I'd be unpacking or packing, moved to Texas, you know, move, you know, several moves throughout the years. And that's the only move I ever like find at the top of a box. And the last time I went to open it, it was empty. So it's just, <laughs> this this box has just been uh, floating around with me for years and years. It's just I, unexplainable. Not exactly sure what's up with that. And just for the record, I do own the movie Silverado, just <laughs> as, as random as that may be. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe not so random. We will be covering it today. Let's, let's finish up with this one here. Who's got the best cowboy hat in film? Uh, I have to go with John Wayne, because I'm a huge Western fan, and he is my first love. He has a pretty classic look, so John Wayne's cowboy hat would be my final answer. He does have a classic look. Good answer. What about what about you, Chad? I am going to be bringing this down immediately. I picked Yosemite Sam. He's in Space Jam. It's a great 10-gallon <laughs> hat. That's a really good hat. And I'm not going to say it's like, a, you know, it's it's off-kilter or off off theme it is it's an incredible hat and he's a he's mm-hmm. clearly i was toying around with maybe going uh woody from toy story that's a good hat yeah uh, particularly when the shark is wearing it and he becomes <laughs> woody mm-hmm. howdy 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 but i think my favorite hat is uh jefe from three amigos okay he he, yeah he actually normally just wears a bandana but he does have a hat i think he only wears it when he's dancing in the in that in the middle of uh, el guapo's birthday party but yeah, you know, we've got uh, plenty of hats in this one. Silverado from 1985, one of the few movies that Matt owns, uh, starring Kevin Klein, Scott Glenn, Rosanna Arquette, John Cleese, briefly, Kevin Costner, Brian Dennehy, Danny Glover, and Jeff Goldblum. Made $32 million. It was 28th in the box office that year. It was beaten by 101 Dalmatians, and it was it just beat Murphy's Romance, a movie I truly had never heard of before. Nope. <laughs> Number one movie that year was Back to the Future. You know, it's got a respectable rating, 7.2 on IMDb. People tend to like it. The critics say 76%. Audience has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. I will say it, it was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Sound and Best Original Score. I don't know how much we'll talk about it, but when you watch this movie, uh, dear listeners, you'll know right away why. It, it feels uh, epic. It feels heroic because of the music. And I've already said this last week is the first time that I watched this movie. I'm going to start with Matt. You own this movie, and that is pretty like pretty high on your list for how much you like a movie. When did you first see it? This was back in childhood at some point, middle school, high school. Yeah, so in my younger days. Was it shown to you by like an uncle or a dad? Did it just come on TV? Or I think, yeah, it was probably a parent's pick. I would assume so. Rewatched it many times. So it was a, it was probably, it could have been one of those uh, recorded off of TV VHSs. Could have shared a, a VHS tape with, uh, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, okay. something like that. Yeah. 
I had Indiana Jones Last Crusade recorded off of the USA Network, and I almost said he's got the best hat. You know, he's not a cowboy, but he's got a great hat. Yeah, yeah, that should be an honorable mention for sure. Along with Odd Job. Along with Odd Job's hat, yeah. Maybe most dangerous hat, unless we wanted to pick our brains. What's a more dangerous hat than Odd Job's? Let me just throw into this conversation a Crocodile Dundee's hat. Okay. That's a... Ooh. Ooh, that's really good. And (laughs) notice how smooth he did that by saying he's going to throw his hat into the situation. Yes. (laughs) And what about you, Chad? Uh, Did you see it as a kid, as a boy? I did not. I am not a Western person. This... I know it's under 10. It may be five. Three of which would be due to the podcast, you know, Blazing Saddles thrown in there and True Grit for whatever odd reason. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a genre for whatever reason that I watch or seek out. So I was excited to revisit or visit a genre that yeah, I, I kind of neglect quite a bit. And I had a good time with this one. I'll probably take some time at least describing the genre. I'm glad we have uh, Matt here, who seems to be a Western guy, because I feel like there's something about a Western movie that its structure, or or even just its characters, the, the way that relationships are made and kept, that it's something special about Western movies that maybe isn't the same among other genres. And it has nothing to do with the setting, or the, the wardrobe, or just even the, the violence. So I, I saw it this week, uh, I will say... While I do not gravitate towards Westerns, when I find one I like, I, I feel sucked into the world. I, I, I generally like it when you can, when these, these characters who are, who are named, you, you don't have to really know their history about them. You just kind of, you, you're kind of shot put right into their world. And uh, when, I, when I saw this, I, I didn't have any type of expectations except for that it's not one of the movies that when people say have you people will say have you seen tombstone or have you seen blazing saddles or young guns i think those those are some right. of the the heavier like names on the western list obviously the older stuff like true grit i saw pale rider a couple times um right. co- you know like there are certain big name westerns what are the other big name westerns i'm missing unforgiven unforgiven okay yeah dirty harry Dirty Hair is not a Western. Is it not? But mm-hmm. it's a Clint Eastwood movie, okay. yes. <laughs> Shows yeah. what I know. Quick and the Dead. Ooh, The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, and what I didn't realize was that Pale Rider came out the same year as Silverado. And it's two different like ways mm-hmm. of being shot. But this this style where it's kind of an ensemble of, of cowboys or ensemble of outlaws, we'll get into what you want to call them. So after rewatching it for the podcast, uh, how do you feel like your overall take? Does it does it hold up? What's what what uh, about this watching made it different from when you were watching as a kid? Yeah, I th- it held up. I mean, I remember it as being a great western, and it held up the same way. Uh, if anything, it was better because it had the nostalgia attached to it from childhood. But you know how it is when you rewatch a movie from your childhood, you're a little nervous, like, oh, was this good? Never go back and watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah, 3. Right. That's my advice. Right. right. Or, or Teen Wolf. Um, Aww. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I felt like this held up. And if anything, yeah, I, I appreciated it more. I guarantee you when I was in middle school, I didn't appreciate the score. And this time around, like the music is just phenomenal. So I think it was better than I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Chad, uh, I know this isn't your genre, 
But I, I would say after that first after that first hand, we're not going to talk about too much of it right now. But when you get that sort of open spance and you see the mountains and you see where they shot this, it, it kind of like I kind of actually literally settled into my my couch. I was like, okay, I'm ready for I'm ready for this kind of movie. Yeah, it had a great opening, and I was settled in. It's like, okay, I'm not going to just have quiet dialogue for 50 minutes while nothing happens. So yeah, <laughs> the score sets the pace, and the the tone of this movie just, it, it grabs you right from the get-go. And we want to talk more about this movie, but we have to do a couple things first. First of all, uh, we need to take a quick advertisement break, which we'll do after that. Chad is going to give us a plot summary of the movie Silverado. Warning, spoilers lie ahead. I mean, that's the point of part of this podcast. So we're going to jump into an ad break and get back to a summary. Be right back. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. And we are back from break. Time to hear that plot summary from Chad. Go ahead. Absolutely. So we've got Emmett. He's a cowboy who's on his way to the town of Silverado. Takes a detour to meet up with his brother Jake, and he finds a man by the name of Payton who has been robbed and left for dead. Together, Emmett and Payton travel to the town of Turley to join Jake. Upon arrival, they find out Jake is scheduled for hanging. Payton gets thrown into the same jail as Jake and helps him escape. Together with a rancher named Mal, who is also headed to Silverado, the four flee Sheriff Langston's men. Along the way, Emmett and Jake visit their sister, who tells them that a local gang is driving people off the land. Mal finds his father has been run off his land as well. Payton meets up with an old acquaintance named Cobb, who runs a saloon and is also the sheriff of Silverado. Unfortunately, Cobb is in league with a rival local gang called the McKendricks, who murders Mal's father and are previously responsible for jailing Emmett for five years. They also kidnap Emmett's nephew and shoot his parents, so just in case you were on the fence about them being the bad guys, they really solidify that. The four men team up and stampede McKendrick's cattle into their ranch and kill most of the bandits. A final showdown between Payton and Cobb occurs, and Payton emerges victorious. Payton is made the new sheriff, because why not? And all the men say their goodbyes. What a great way to wrap that up with something that I even thought out, you know, I thought to myself, ah, Payton's the new sheriff, because why not? <laughs> yes, you murdered the last guy, so that you should be our log bringer. That's yep. how it works in the Old West. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's a, that's a great, th- that's how it works in the Old West. Uh, I figured I would float this question out there uh, for for some of us who aren't as uh, heavy into westerns i i do like them when i see them but uh we'll start with you matt what do you like about westerns oh that's a that's a big question <laughs> um 
I will, I'll start with four. I'll start with four things and then I'll give you time to answer. I'm just going to go with four here. I like horseback riding. <laughs> I like, I like coffee around the fire. I like telling stories. I, li- I like, uh, hard, hard work to get, to get to make a living. And that's the extent of what I'm going to say. So now you go because you're the Western guy. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, I think I like the visuals of the Westerns, right? This the, it's the, the West, the, the land is a feature these hard men who uh like in this movie are they outlaws or are they good guys yes and so what (laughs) what drives them is this like inner character right like they do what's right sometimes they're on the good side and sometimes they have to shoot a man (laughs) 33 times they had to shoot a man (laughs) (laughs) so i think there's a spirit that they evoke of this uh you know the classic you know uh strong guy who's uh willing to take a stand regardless of the outcome he's gonna do what's right yeah they're they're in some ways they're simple which is also kind of refreshing to just sit back and you can kind of predict what's going to happen here but it's refreshing and simple and and good so we i like what you said about are they outlaws are they good guys i, I think chad you're like yes are, you know, even calling them cowboys, you know, cowboys, do they have to be ranchers? Do they have to put in a, like a, a heart, like, do they have to put in a, a, an honest day's work? There's, there is kind of that question about it, when, when in any given day, you might be shooting a man dead, how much of it is being a good guy. But I think you touched on it is there's like an inner character of, of the lead or the, of the people in an ensemble cast like this. Uh, there's an inner character that's shown that you you believe they're gonna do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's this guiding this this inner compass that's in all these classic characters that um, yeah they're gonna do what's right regardless of the cost. So the classic uh, western one of the originals is High Noon, and the sheriff goes out to battle all you know twenty bad guys by himself, right? And he's gonna die. He kisses the girl goodbye and goes out to do what's right regardless of the consequences yes Payton saving the dog yeah right exactly exactly yeah for me it's camaraderie i like the bonds they make with each other and all the westerns they've really stuck with me including the goofy ones like blazing saddles it's the friendships and i really like the friendships in this movie i thought the bonds between jake and emmett and Payton and the the barmaid, all of those were just great friendships to watch evolve. And do you think that... I actually remember this being said when Payton is found out in the desert. I think he's being nursed back to health by Emmett. This is very early. Being rescued kind of means that you want to treat this guy friendly, right? Or that, oh, this, is, this guy just saved my life. I want to try to be good back to him, I guess. He says something along the lines, and this is a quote that I both love and hate. Quotes like this. He says, yeah, I, you know, I treat everyone like my friend, or you, you can choose to treat everyone like your friend, or you can treat everyone like your enemy. Doesn't do much of difference. And I said, no, that's bogus. It makes no sense. Uh, if you treat everybody like they're your enemy, compared to treating them like your friend, that makes a huge difference. Kind of separates <laughs> the type of people that you root for in this movie, or these movies, and the people that you root against. But regardless of the content of that quote, I think that these cowboys, or, or you know, these 
You can call them outlaws, you can call them wanderers, uh, gunslingers, all types of ways to describe them. Do they recognize the inner character of the other people they meet and say, okay, you're one of the good ones? I think they can spot them. Yes, they can spot the good ones. Because that happens with the wagon train. Oh, these are the good ones. And as soon as the two robbers show up, you know, uh, Emmett and Peyton look at each other and they know those are the bad ones. They shoot the one guy. <laughs> the, the guy with the wife. I can't remember. Well, the bad guys shoot him. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. You had to know that guy was going to die. I, I didn't. <laughs> I'm naive like that. <laughs> He was a character that was in the movie to die. Yes, you were in the way of a love story, I guess. That's right. And we we see that. That guy definitely was in the movie to die. And I think, uh, what, what do you, you have one of those quotes, I I think, I think one of them says, it, may, it might have been Mal, or maybe it was Jake saying to Peyton, geez, Peyton, her old man ain't even cold yet. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was a good line. They they needed a woman, though. I was watching this movie, and what occurred to me through almost every Western I've watched, there's been a saloon, there's been something fairly early. And we got through 30 minutes, and I was like, I haven't seen a single female in this movie. And it took almost 40 minutes for a woman to appear, and it was almost 50 minutes before we had one with a speaking line. They wound up being much more important, but it was interesting. It was like, okay, is this not going... How I think it's going to go. There's there's always a woman there that they're interested in. And turns out, you know, guys in the way, got to kill him. But mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll move this question to Matt then. Is, does there need to be a woman? When, when, we're describing, when we're describing the camaraderie of the hard life of a gunslinging type of lifestyle, I love interesting female characters. And I don't know if we've talked about it, the, the, the two of us, Chad. Perhaps it's come up on the podcast before, but you've heard of the Bechtel test before? Yes. Yep. Yeah. The, the idea of, of, of two women that need to have a conversation with each other and their conversation needs to be something other than a man or like a romantic love situation. Yep. I'm, I, I would hate for that quote to come out of context, which what the quote was, or what I said was, does there need to be a woman? But in the <laughs> context of Westerns, and um, like the 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 friendship of these people who we've got we've got kind of a partnership at twenty eight minutes in we've got three people at thirty one minutes in another three minutes and now we're up to four four riding buddies out there. Do you find that a romantic subplot or a plot uh, involving um, what the the role of the women are is necessary to a good western or d does it add to what like a westerns in, like how you enjoy a western? I don't, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're necessary, and in, in most of the Westerns I think of, the classics, they, they're not necessary. You only need them, I think, humanize the, the cowboys. So they go into the bar, and there's a woman, there's some level of relationship there, and they have some level of a relationship. And I think that's the main role of the woman in the Westerns, just humanizes the main male lead. True Grit did better, though. True Grit, yeah, is, is not a typical Western, but agreed, yeah. Yeah, I actually thought Ray was the most interesting female, and she doesn't have a connection. Well, she does to Slick, but that's that's more of just occupational hazard, I guess is how is I'll phrase it. The owner of the bar? 
That's what I was going to say is Stella. Stella has a really good non-romantic style relationship with the main actors of this plot. An intriguing character. Cool. Uh, cool. Every scene in her is, um, with her in it, is is interesting. Um, the kind of intelligence or the um, <clears throat> the insight that she has into like what's going on. Um, yeah. 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 She was a great character. I like I like Stella a lot, and she goes on. She plays Hetty in NCIS Los Angeles. So right. she's she's another very intelligent character that's running things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a great character in the film. Yeah, and and she has that same... Don't you feel as if she can see that same inner character of our heroes, right? Yet she's working in a place with Cobb, essentially as the owner of the Midnight Star, and uh, in a great reveal in this movie, when he pulls his, his coat back and he's got the Sheriff Star on his vest, says to Payton, Welcome to heaven... And then with maybe the most blatant bad guy laugh you're going to hear afterwards really shows kind of um, the complexity of this town, Silverado. I, I, I think she, she is, you, you, as an audience, you can see who recognizes the good in whom. Mm-hmm. Now that leads me to something, and I'm just going just gonna to ask, because there's a lot of times that I will miss stuff. Let's talk about Peyton here. Aside from the story about the dog... Is there something that he's keeping really close to the chest? Is there really, is there some hidden thing about him that's bad? Uh, the way that the way that Stella recognizes, she says, "Oh, he must have something on you." Or, or, can you guys think of what that was or is? And Cobb mentions before the dog, they it was a bank job, so he was clearly robbing a bank or some form of gang member. And he's good. Right. He's good with a gun, and he's quick to kill people. So. I have to imagine that's not the first time he's killed anyone. Yeah, I think he's the classic, uh, I used to run with the outlaws, but I'm genuinely a good person. You see that character a lot in westerns. Yeah, he's Han Solo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know that he, when you find him, he was sad that he lost his horse and his rig with his gun. He sees the man with his hat. And potentially his gun and kills him in the middle of the saloon. Yeah. <laughs> yes. is, is, so I'm I'm wondering to myself because once again I, I saw it just just that as the first time I'm going. Is this guy all about his own possessions, just making sure he's looking out for number one, just looking out for mm-hmm. me? And and is this going to be fun where you have a character who's only looking out for himself as part of a group? Because I know even without seeing the movie, I know that the, there's going to be a group of people working together. Um, do you need a Han Solo? Like, does it make it better when there's someone who has maybe a, a darker past, clearly skirting the law in some way, willing to kill that guy in cold blood? And then is it his inner character that says, okay, well, I'm just going to stroll right into this jail? Is is doing your time what makes you a good cowboy or a good killer when you do your time yes. for it? Yes. So I think <laughs> in in the Western genre, you have certain codes, right? Like... You never take a man's horse. You never take a man's hat. Like, so in the Western genre, it doesn't feel like he just killed someone in cold blood. The other guy drew first, so he was self-defense. This is the classic shootout, right? He he tells him to give him the hat, and rather than give him the hat, he pulls his gun, and so it's self-defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they made it 
clear there's a redemption path. The final shootout takes place in front of a church. He's in a white light while Cobb's back in the shadows. It was very much foreshadowing. Even the bad guys, I liked that Emmett's horse was white and Tyree's horse was black. So they were doing very much, here are the bad guys, here are the good guys. We're going to frame it via light. We're going to frame it via coloration of horses, everything. Yeah, I think in Westerns is where our... In, in U.S. cinema, like white hats and black hats and, and, and using color to distinguish uh, kind of has its roots, unless we're going to go earlier, in which case I don't have the info. But I would say Westerns is where we have our roots for that. Yeah. So, like, the code, the, the in Westerns, there's a code. Breaking into a bank and stealing money, getting, getting away with a job gone right is forgivable, whereas taking another man's hat or horse or rig isn't. And I, I'm wondering, is that, am I, am I inaccurate in how I'm saying that? Or there's certain things that like the, the, some people run with bandits or the, you know, the, the big, the big um, gang of bandits that we run across in the first half of the movie is, is the issue that they held, that, that they attacked or, or they stole from good, good people. Are you only supposed to steal from the, like the banks I'm I'm wondering here uh, because I I I don't consider cowboys or like gunslingers I don't consider them anti-heroes which has been really popular over the last thirty years. Do do you consider them anti-heroes? I still feel they're they're quite heroic. They just got an edge. It's more Robin Hood type character. I think you're right of who they hurt. They're hurting the banks, which are always portrayed as crooked. You know, historical background. Jesse James. They used to rob banks, and they would burn the notes for people's properties. And we're in an age where there are no computers, there's no backup. So the banks couldn't prove to the people, hey, you owe a debt to us. And that's how they would endear themselves to the general population. Hey, free mortgages, we just burned up all your loan note. So yeah, it's it's kind of that, who they're hurting. They're, the McKendrick gang are moving people off their land. That's all they have. You know, we see Ezra. That's he owned the land, and it's tragic on multiple accounts. There's there's clearly a racism account, and just being moved off land that he had purchased and worked hard for. So yeah, they're hurting. He's the face of someone they are hurting. Yeah, Mal and Ray's dad, Ezra. Yes. Um. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's I. I I'll say this as kind of a disclaimer. Adding in that because uh, Mal and his family are black uh, and that there is clearly a scene where uh, he's called a slur and in this town we don't put up with people, you know, having bringing this kind of trouble. Not to downplay it in any social context, but sometimes there are certain things like slavery, there are certain things like racism, there are certain things like certain certain crime cartels that are just across the board bad. And racism is one of them that's so across the board bad. But in this movie, we have like the, the I'm going to say it, McKendrick? Is it McKendrick? Yes. Mm -hmm. I was saying McCormick, like the spice company, like all, <laughs> all day. The McKendricks are kicking people off their land and, and, and running them off. That's our, that's, like the plot is always moving towards these are the bad people that are, not only, not only are they doing this, but they're also, uh, involved in the corruption with the city of Silverado. That's what we're moving to this whole time, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it yeah, and it just so happens that we have these people all headed in this direction 
Emmett and Jake have family there. Mal has has family near there. So these people all come together to... I don't think they realized they were on a mission together. They were just kind of like writing as four writers can together. Mm-hmm. Like we're a, we're a ragtag band that the friendship comes fast. And that's cool about Westerns. I think that was the thing that I thought was really fun about this movie. How quickly they're like... We're of the same cloth. Let's ride together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to stop That's the gang funny. that will just shoot a piglet in cold blood. Like, if he didn't hate them through anything else, they just <laughs> shoot a baby pig for no good reason. And let me just highlight, too, I think what is uh, unique about this Western from others is uh, in the first, I don't know the time, first hour, you have all the classic Western elements. You have a shootout. Yeah. You have horse chase. a horse chase. You have a bar fight. You have that was a, a shootout great... in the bar, a fast draw shootout. Then you get a jailbreak. You get a posse chase. You get a wagon train chasing robbers. I mean, that's all. I mean, sometimes you get a Western where you only get like two of those things. Yeah. That was a great bar fight, too. Like a lot of times they're almost cartoonish, but that seemed really realistic. Like it wasn't super sped up or choreographed. I appreciated that. There's two things I want to say about that. One is, um, the, in, in terms of the, like, that particular, the, the bar fight, there's sometimes when the choice was made by the director to, like, zoom in on something so that as an audience, you could not miss, oh, he actually, he hit him at a very particular spot, or now you're seeing this knife for the first time. Um, and I feel like maybe this was just a, a part of being in the 80s, is that, like, we need to show you, audience, exactly what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's maybe one of the few things that I would say doesn't hold up because I'm going to say audiences are, ooh, am I going to start? Am I going to finish this sentence? Are audiences smarter now to where you don't have to hand feed them that? I don't think we're hand fed those like those zoom in shots anymore. But the second thing I was going to say about that was when it comes to a Western movie, I want all of those things too. Mm -hmm. I want all of those things. I almost want them more than I care about the overall plot of the movie. Would either of you two agree that you want the aspects of a Western that it, th- whatever the overall goal is, maybe not be is as important as all of this cool stuff? I thought that the posse chase was beautiful. Absolutely. Being able to see all those horses together and uh, even mm-hmm. fording the river with, I mean, like all that stuff with the wagon mm-hmm. train. It's just, it's beautiful to witness and see. It must've been so fun slash agonizing to film. Yeah, the only thing I will highlight that you don't get, that it, and it would be interesting to talk to the director about it, is he gives you every classic element of a Western, except for one. There are no Indians. Yeah. Like, that is the classic Western scene. Even with the wagon train, like, that's when the Indians come, but he didn't, he didn't give us that piece. You're right. There's no, there, there's no, there are no Indians. I tend to use the term American Indians. I know Native Americans is also used sometimes, but this is just, it comes from, you know, what's, what's preferred based on where you live. But also there's, there's not really a, it's because of the setting of this one. There's not, there is not a zero Mexican influence as well. There is, when they come into the town of Turley, there are teepees outside of the town. Mm, good and they don't, and they don't matter. They don't really matter at all. So they're at least kind of referenced. It makes me think that maybe they just had, uh, when they were filming in New Mexico, maybe there just were some teepees around. They're like, let's add that in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that'll look authentic. Yeah. 
but yeah, I, all all of the stuff about it, the the. I was wondering when I was sitting down and watching. I thought, how are they going to get these guys out of jail? I had never that the ruse they come up with to get to get Jake out. Yeah, um, when they're inter- like, was that was that pl- who 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 was like the spearhead on that? Was that Jake had an idea, uh, or I mean, I, did did it just was it luck that that I happened? Give it, that way? I give it to Jake because it was so silly. I agree. Yeah, that seems like a Jake move. I'm watching outside and like. Every Western I've seen, someone's outside building new gallows. That's that's the job you want. Be the gallows builder. Then they burn down. So, you know, constant employment. Yeah, it's just one of those scenes. It's like we checked a box. I I agree, though. I, I want all of these components. And I saw some of the critics' responses to this movie. And some of this might be weakness of I haven't seen a ton of Westerns. They're like, hey, this this does a lot of almost paint by numbers. It checks some boxes and it feels overly familiar. But what it does is really good. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that experience with a whole bunch of background. So to me, I'm like, OK, these are all the things that I want. And I, I actually, you know, his, historically, there were far more black cowboys than what have been portrayed in the movies. I really appreciated that aspect from Mal because it I think the numbers are estimated at something like 20%. So it may even be, be higher. We, we would have had also a Mexican or a Latino population as well. They weren't represented. Yeah, to have Mal's story in there, just like Blazing Saddles, was really cool. I was happy with, the, with what was on the menu on Silverado. Like all the mm-hmm. stuff that was shown to us. Did, when you first, I guess if you grew up with it, you probably... We're used to seeing it. the The foreshadowing of Tyree gets out of jail, and and Cobb is there to get him out and to head back west. I'm assuming they're moving west. If they're saying they're going to California, they're starting somewhere east of California. So they they are uh, they're there to get Tyree out. He loans uh, Cobb loans uh, Payton some clothes. Says you owe me thirteen dollars, and they don't see each other again for another hour of of movie time. I thought I thought setting this up as like who do you know who's from your past and the way that I wrote this down was are westerns the classic best example of why networking is good for your career <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great question these yeah. people if you know someone especially you know them by their last name or you know or you know the oh yeah we worked together in Jefferson City or uh, yeah, he, he he was out in Tombstone. These these relationships can get you in or out. I mean, they'll get you a free drink. Or in um, what is what does Peyton say to Emmett? Hey, come let me buy you a drink. Emmett says, "Great straight man, by the way, Emmett. Mm. Uh, don't, you don't got any money. Oh, okay. Well, then you'll buy me a drink. <laughs> right. I guess it's on you. Yeah, yeah. It, the networking seems problematic too, with Emmett killing one of the McKendricks, and that just caught drives a lot of our conflict through this entire movie okay five years ago he killed a mckendrick and now if you're shooting people as much as these guys tend to it seems problematic with how small this population is you've killed somebody's cousin brother uncle whatever it is and now you've got a posse after you i think the greatest mystery of the movie so everybody knows payton or payton knows the bad guys because he has a history yes 
and and always the fastest gun in the West knows the other fastest gun in the West who comes into town late in the movie to have a shootout in the street. To me, the real mystery of the movie is what in the world is Emmett's past? Like the guy in the opening scene is amazing. Yes. And uh, and his brother Jake is obviously very good with a gun. It's like, what are these guys? What did these guys do? Those were some great trick shot scenes. The mm-hmm. the bristles off of the cactus, or the even Jake with the dual shot around the corner. Yeah. All of that stuff. I enjoyed like, just the Annie Oakley type expeditions mm-hmm. of right, right. But it's like, were these guys? They have skills with a gun. So were they doing good with them? Were they doing bad with them? Like, well, who? These weren't just ranchers, like, rounding up cows. Like, what's their story? Yeah, same with Mal, though. I mean, with that long rifle, right. he is just sniping guys left and right. And the accuracy, I would not trust anyone. <laughs> I wouldn't trust a Marine sharpshooter with the most accurate rifle today to shoot at my feet mm-hmm. and intentionally miss. But Mal's just missing intentionally to help set up Emmett and set up that scene. Right. That that makes me think, and I think this is what you like a western to be about, and what you want to talk about it is, um, is, is land ownership and the dispute of the legality of the land that much fun to talk about? No, but is it fun to talk about sharpshooting? Yeah, yes. And um, so what it made me think of is Malachi, his dad, the way he talks about like that his dad's rifle, and when Ezra has the rifle in his hands. It makes me think that Malachi learned to shoot from his dad. I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. explicitly said, but, but clearly oh, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But why is Ezra such a good shot? Why are these? Because because I think mm-hmm. they're the best shots with a rifle in the movie. Mm-hmm. When I was thinking about how this group of people were put together, it almost made me think of like, and it does kind of make sense. Like a heist, you need the different components. You know, right. you need the grease, you need the respect, you need the tech, you need the detonator. Um, right. You need all these people. Maybe you need the sharpshooter, or, or maybe you need the in, the inside man or the muscle. Like all these things you need, and so they all fit these different things. Uh, Emmett is clearly like the straight man. Jake's a little bit of a wild card, but you you want him high high charisma. Uh, you know, uh, very fun type of character. But yeah, that is a good question. Where did they get these skills? And it's possible the answer is practice. We see <laughs> Emmett mm-hmm. practicing. Right. Uh, and almost leads to his demise. Fun scene, actually, to see to see him practicing in that. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys do this? Because I've been doing this since I was in high school. I also grew up shooting as well, but I'm never in a context where I'd have to do this. In movies, do you find yourself counting the number of gunshots before someone <laughs> is is empty? Yes. Because I do. I, I try not to because it robs some of my joy. <laughs> yeah. I think the the one I like the best the there are some pirates that come across the life aquatic the the name of the boat escapes me but there are some pirates that come across and um, Steve Zissou played by Bill Murray has a handgun that I think he shoots something like forty four to fifty bullets um, <laughs> and I it, think it's done on purposefully to show how wacky and and nuts it is but I I found myself counting bullets all the time and when I when I heard the uh, the deputy say. What does he say? Like, you're out. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. He immediately realizes like the the pile that he's stepped in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, that was a cool scene. I found a lot of the scenes more dramatic. It wasn't just eye candy. It was oh, this matters, and um, they, whether the the people involved matter or the weight matters. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know how you practice shooting a torch thrown in the air towards a building, but that was a great shot too. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that yeah. one that one kind of I'm not going to say it made me roll my eyes, but I was just like, "Oh jeez." <laughs> <laughs> I bet any Oakley probably did have a trick shot that could do that. You know, they're even skilled with knives. Mal whips out and throws the knife and nails or no that wasn't mal that was ray ray with the knife too even the women are doing some great shots so i guess there's you talked about one mystery what's the deal between emmett and i believe the name is hannah the woman who's um whose husband is shot in the gorge what's are they friends from when they were younger are they ex-lovers and and then they're you know obviously jake and emmett leave for california in the end and so Hannah is left with unnamed whore and Peyton standing at the bar at the front of the saloon. What's the story there? Do you guys know know it at all? No, I I feel like it's unnecessary. But yeah, I, I, to me that was one of the a weakness of the film is she's with Peyton and then she's with Emmett and it's, I I saw no connection between her and Emmett. I it was just I figured she was past flame or something the one that got away but yeah that it did kind of leave unresolved i mean he does say goodbye to her but that's it i felt like she's just a total stranger (laughs) i felt like she's a stranger on the wagon train and in the old west there's very few beautiful women that aren't prostitutes and this happens to be one of them Uh, and obviously to our female audience for the genre Yeah, I feel like we can do that at the Retro Movie Roundtable. We can we can apologize for the whole genre. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. Yeah, I feel like we can. Yeah, so so the um like where where we where we start off and where where we end up, we we get all the things that we want to. Cobb, very interesting role he has in the movie. I I his his sort of little i'm gonna it's hard to say an empire but the the deal that he's got uh he's would you say he's in the pocket of the mckendricks or would you say that he is uh like it's more of a collaboration you know how sometimes they'll say oh we're not being bought like a company might say we're not being bought by this company we're merging but like now you got bought i think it's a great question yeah who's stronger i don't know i i but we knew that both sides were bad both parties were bad we knew the manipulation of Cobb was as bad as the actions of the, I about said McCormick again, the McKendricks. Yeah, it's, and the movie did make you, in between any any deep thought that you were going to go into, like, well, how do they know each other was then, oh, well, there's something something new to see. For instance, Slick showing up into town. <laughs> Jeez. Yep. We need our Jeff Lowe Goldblum. <laughs> what, do you, uh... what do you want to say about Slick? I do. Yeah. Say it, man. And uh, somewhere Russell's just cringing because uh, our negative town rule. I love Jeff Goldblum. I have learned that I do not love Jeff Goldblum in westerns. <laughs> His entire point, which I do appreciate, having Jeff Goldblum in a role of hitting on someone's sister, so that was fun. But yeah, he he is the fish out of water here. That uh, just. This is the oddball character for me. He is the odd one out. Uh, I'll I'll stand up for Jeff Goldblum here. All right. Uh, he shouldn't fit in as uh, with the cowboys because he is the type of character who spends his life in the casino bar room uh, dealing cards. He's an odd duck. Um, yeah, the fur coat. <laughs> <laughs> 
fur that coat fur coat is... rules yes. for, the, for the record yeah um, uh... and and once again reminds us as as do some of the awesome shots uh remind us of that not all westerns have to be like like when you think of the brown dustiness of western towns in western movies uh you tend to forget that you know the desert gets cold at night and that the old west was wasn't just in the southern you know part of the states where you, you had you know i don't exactly know where this is taking place but like you know areas like wyoming very very cold iowa very cold you know uh mal spent some time in chicago uh snow on the ground i i once again, i just want to bring it back to i don't think any of us have, have would have anything to say except for the highest positives for just the locale um mm. of this movie oh yeah the scenery is amazing. Like you referenced, the opening scene when he walks out of the cabin and that view. Yes. And then all the riding shots to get to Silverado. Yeah, the, the landscape is a, certainly a uh, a sixth man. Yeah, yeah. A huge bonus to to a movie like this. When, when That opening scene where he op- opens the door of that. First of all, we, we that those like... That opening scene where there are men outside and he's taking them out from inside. Incredible. I believe he, he mentioned something. Emmett's character, or Emmett, Emmett says like, well, I had to get up anyway. Like, yes. I just, <laughs> Classic. But when, when the door opens, you know what I felt like? I felt like when Dorothy opens the door and it goes from black and white to color. Mm. Like That's how astounding that shot was. But did any of you think to yourself, who the heck builds a cabin there? Like you wander out of that that door drunk one night and you're a goner. Like it's like on the edge. I was okay with that, although that's a good point for cowboy drinking. <laughs> I was more concerned with, hey, bad guys, why don't you just try and open the door gently and murder him in his sleep rather than <laughs> kick the door down? Like, like of course you're gonna wake up the sharpshooter or good set job. or set it on fire. I mean. I don't I don't know why I don't know why that was built where it was but it's not like any it's not like a wanderer like him is going to stay there for any amount of time. Yeah. You know when when he goes off he's going to Colorado he's going to leave that shack behind somebody'll find it. But it was an awesome like like to throw you into the movie fast like mm-hmm. oh this is this guy Emmett who for at first when I saw him I don't know if you guys thought this way I thought that guy was David Carradine. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can see that. Don't they yeah. look? A, they looked a lot alike to me. They do. Uh, yeah. So, the uh, director Lawrence Kasdan is that how you say it? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that he's done. Are you a fan of Kasdan? I have not seen honestly any of his directorial items except for this, including Wyatt Earp, another western that he goes on. I've seen things he's written for, you know, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders, Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens. We'll stop there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I've I'm far more familiar with him as a writer than I am as a director. You you said you uh, really wanted to talk about Solo. I I do not. I, this is a running <laughs> theme in the podcast. I find Solo's existence unnecessary and refuse to watch it. <laughs> truly the only reason i brought up the director uh, <laughs> was just to say that well i will say as far as um what what the movie presented i felt like i was i was given what i wanted out of this movie i, I the ex- expectations were um whenever i look at something 90 or before 
I do expect some things to be a little ham-handed. I do expect some things to not be so smooth. But when you get these Western elements that are just fun, regardless of who's playing them, I, I would say that that all of these like many things that happen throughout the Western movie really just make it a like it, it's too it's too frequently that I call things candy. But it's like yes, this is fun. I like this. What are they going to do next? Oh man, they're bonding. They're bo- they, these guys are becoming buddies. Very cool about this movie. Yeah, and there's a lot of things like we have John Cleese in here, and he. His opening line is a classic Monty Python line of what's going on here. And, you know, they give him, they give you little tidbits there for some of the characters that they've got going. There's a classic action shot with Danny Glover holding two rifles simultaneously. It's like, that's a great shot. Horribly impractical to use, but mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. I'm I'm up for it. Impractical for most. For Danny Glover? Or, That's no, true. I guess I should, yeah, I guess I should call him Mal. I should call him who he is in the movie. <laughs> I know. I, I was I was going to talk about each of the... Cause, because I do feel like this is ensemble. I, I did want to talk about, like, which of them... This was something I thought about. Who in a Western are you? When you're, mm-hmm. it, when you're thinking about, like, which part of the posse are you? Mm-hmm. Are you on the side of the law? Because if you're not, all you got to do is kill the sheriff. Then you're the new sheriff, as we right? learned in this movie. Are you uh, just kind of a bartender trying to keep trying to make a good living? You know, uh, what kind of role do you find yourself in if you were thinking of yourself in a Western? It's a great question. I love the question. Even if you just think of Silverado explicitly, which character would you like to be? I think I'm going to go, though, with uh, the Emmett character in this and in other Westerns. Maybe silent, but... but, uh, you know, actions speak for his words, and he just you know kicks butt. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm. I will continue my route of cheering for the bad guys. I really like Cobb. Mm. I like his character. He's he's crafty. He kind of has the better off dead. I want my two dollars, except it's thirteen here. More substantial, but yeah, I I like his conniving ways and. I tend to root for the bad guys. I can't pick Tyree because he looks like a knockoff Jared Leto. Like <laughs> that, that eyeliner I just can't get behind whatever was happening there. So I'm going with Sheriff Cobb. I I was going to say it's somewhere between a a Payton and a a Stanhope for me, a Slick. Okay. Um, I think <laughs> I would like to enjoy the things about Western towns like drinking and gambling and whoring and and the thing that but you have to like earn that somehow i don't i don't know maybe maybe i'd like to be like the snot-nosed kid that like grew up with a silver spoon that that now just has the money to do it Mm. the danger is so much fun about these movies the violence is so much fun but somebody's gonna be faster than you on the draw someday oh yeah and so if you can just if you have the means to have made enough of a living to just enjoy being in an area like this i think i think realistically i would want to own land and farm it and live off of it but if we're but but if we're not being realistic just being the rolling through town gambler or oh this person knows how to run a saloon you want a job i'm gonna fire the, the guy that had your job before it uh, yes. right in front of you mm-hmm. <laughs> strange scene fun scene mm-hmm. it's where you also see that Cobb's a pretty good shot 
Mm-hmm. I, I feel like in reality, most of us would be Augie jumping off a roof and completely missing the horse. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, we'll throw this little nugget in. JT yes. is Augie's dad. We would be him probably, just a really boring, <laughs> boring character. Who is played by... Yes, Earl Hyman. Who is... Wilson. That's right. Wilson yes. over the fence in Home Improvement. Yep. Oh, I thought you meant the volleyball. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> the, the volleyball adds more character to that movie than... Well, speaking of, of like who we would be or like which of the Silverado tropes you might be, let's talk about who the best of what we saw was as we move into the superlatives. This is uh, where we uh, give our rankings of several different categories. And what we'll do is we'll start with our guest, Matt. You have an MVP for this movie? I'm going to have to go with the young Kevin Costner. I mean, he brings some joy, some humor, just fun to the movie. I think he's the, the shining star of the film. Yes, I would rather be... I, I, I love the Emmett. I admire the Emmett, but... I've seen the Emmett character a lot in Westerns, and what you don't see a lot in Westerns is that Jake character. Mm. He's just so fun and silly, and so yeah, I think he's my MVP, the young Kevin Costner. This was his first, well, his first actual role. That's right. He got it from getting cut from another movie. He was in it, but they cut all of his scenes. Yeah, this this was a great role for him. I loved him. That's, I did not know that, that this was his... That could be considered his first role, yeah. um, and and a good point that Matt makes is is that you you want to have you want to have someone fun, whether whether it's a whether it's a saucy lady or whether it's someone that's playing it risky. I think that's a that's a great choice. MVP for you, Chad. I went with Lawrence Kasdan. I thought this was well developed, top to bottom. I had a tough time picking my favorite part. The cinematography was beautiful. There was great music just everything worked and you know the set design it it was built on cook ranch it winds up being used in five six westerns including wild wild west which i'm guessing kevin klein would prefer this movie over wild wild west Uh, (laughs) if you like will smith and kevin klein in wild wild west i'm sorry but yeah everything lawrence kasdan did here i enjoyed so props to him I am uh, going to say something very similar, which is that I like the Kasdan. Are they brothers? I I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, because I realize it could have it could have not been brothers, and I just yeah. made that assumption. But no, I thought this was written very well. I'm going to go with uh, in the writer's seat rather than the director's seat. All of these situations or the problems that this group of people find themselves in. It didn't take much for the group of two to move to a group of three to move to a group of four, and then we've got them. We've got our group, our gang, our posse, whatever you want to call it. We've got them together. Now let's see what they get into. All of the the details of what they get into, whether it is describing how the Jake hides behind Peyton so that they can use two hands to slip the handcuffs because technically the hands won't be connected to the same body. I like it actually kind of blew my mind. Like, well, somebody had to think of that. Yeah. <laughs> and the writers had to think of that. The scene in the canyon where Emmett comes blasting in, just full mm-hmm. throttle in. Oh my God, they're coming. And, and he's surrounded by like 20 raiders or like 20 different bandits and they don't shoot him dead. 
And so the, the, the boss listens to like the way that that plan went off. Unfortunately, uh, Hannah's husband gets shot at the end because they stopped way too close. But all of these funny, all of these spots um, have to be written. And mm-hmm. I realized I didn't even talk about the humor of this movie. This is a funny movie. Yes. Without yeah, being is. a comedy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another aspect of this was written really well. You know, there, there aren't, I don't always go to the writer when it comes to my superlatives. But because of, and maybe it was just because, maybe writing within a Western is easy because you know you have certain things that you need to hit. Or maybe, or maybe that makes it more fun to write. I'm not sure. But I'm going to go with the Kasdan brothers there as well. Yeah, I think it's ahead. a great pick. Uh, the, particularly, it stands out from the genre because of the, some of those things you highlighted. It's just original writing. I've yeah. never seen that handcuff trick in all the. I've never seen the the trick on the uh, the wagon train. Like that was funny and very very original, even for the genre. The horse wrap around where the, he winds up knocking Tyree off the horse with his own. That was yes, cool. yep. Never saw that in a western either. Yep. So it's just original writing. You know what? Um, the the way that we're talking about this movie as just a little little precursor teaser is in real time changing my rating of this movie right now. <laughs> it, nice. it does that. Podcasting does that. Good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure to tune in every week to Retro Movie Roundtable, audience. Let's move on to our best supporting actor. Matt, you have a choice for best supporting does it have to be an actor, or am I allowed to... It, you can go out. I can go out? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, whoever's writing the soundtrack or the score, or the soundtrack or the score can be the, the character that I'm nominating here. Yes. But I think it, it wins uh, Best Supporting Actor. It's hard for me to pick, you know, like I said, Jake's my favorite, the other three are in a... It would, I could argue for any one of them. I love the four heroes. So rather than have to pick one of them, I'm going to go with the soundtrack. Uh, it's epic. It's it's just driving the movie, and it's it's a, it's a character on the screen with them. Yeah, not since like I think Lord of the Rings is what came to mind. Howard Shore's soundtrack. Not since that movie have I seen a soundtrack really enhance a movie like this one. So I high praise for it. I I loved it too. And I don't know how to say it. It's either Bruce Broughton or Bruce Brofton. It's one of those okay. O-U-G-H things. Mm. But uh, he deserves the credit. And he, he, he did he, he got the nomination uh, lost to uh, Out of Africa. Hmm. Okay. But uh, yeah, he, he's worked on a lot of other stuff, particularly Disney films. Uh, Rescuers Down Under, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Two great movies. Yes. We'll pick another not great movie here. Baby's Day Out he worked on. <laughs> oh, I saw that when I was little. I haven't revisited it, but I'll defend it. Special memories with my grandpa. <laughs> oh, okay. That's great. We'll, that we'll, movie we'll... keeps coming up. It, that is that is one of the strangest movies that has come up on this podcast at least like five or six times. It's just weaseled its way in. Baby's Day Out. And and we have not covered it? No, no. Good. Next, it doesn't deserve Next up. Oh. <laughs> no. No. Uh, all right dealer's choice oh man uh i think i'm gonna be on vacation that week what week i don't know yet (laughs) so uh how about how about you chad best supporting actor yeah for all the reasons matt said for his mvp i'm picking kevin costner's jake loved the comic relief but i also thought he had the best trick shots in the movie Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I liked the... He was the one that shot the stairs underneath the guy coming out of the sheriff's office, like, top floor, right? He'd shoot the right. stair one gun at a time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's not forget uh, an, incre- an incredibly acrobatic move when he is uh, doing flips and or somersaults over the rafter in the barn right before he gets it on with that one blonde lady. Uh, yes. That's, that's always fun. He shot the counterweight, had that classic uh, rising up with the rope type mm-hmm. trick. Yep. Loved it all. You know what should be brought up there is the, the speed at which some of the um, action shots or like the movement from scene to scene uh, was something that was pleasant. I don't feel like we lingered too long in the wrong place with this movie. It, it got you to where you wanted to be quickly. Agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My best supporting actor was a toss up between Linda Hunt playing Stella. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. And and Brian Dennehy playing Cobb. And I'm going to go with Dennehy here. Okay, uh, yeah. I, I think what I realized is I like the unique character of Stella a lot. But what I think is that I've seen Dennehy in other movies where I, I didn't think of him as an afterthought, but I almost never liked him. This is a movie where you're supposed to not like him, and I love him. <laughs> if that makes sense like yeah. he's a he's a he he's he's sleazy he is manipulative i think it's it's something special to be able to make a heavy guy look imposing instead of just heavy instead of just like yeah like some and that's wardrobe that can do that for you it, like the the way they have him is he's he's kind of a broad-shouldered ox of a man instead of just like a guy who's eaten too much ice cream <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I think his presence is so good, and I feel like he fits so well. So he's my best supporting, is Cobb. And uh, whether this is him or not, uh, after after getting shot in the showdown, falls and dies uh, like a pro. Yes, <laughs> true. He's a large man. And now, uh, let me also just say that in the Western genre, you rarely see a heavy set guy. Yeah. It's, yeah, I would agree. Nor do you, for that matter, see a woman as short as um, Linda Hunt. Linda yeah, Hunt, Stella. yeah. Again, back to some of the originality. So it's it's the classic. You have all the elements you want, but there is certainly an element of originality to this Western. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they show you. They probably didn't have to show us. They didn't have to show us the little uh, ramp that she uses to get up behind the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Even after seeing it in my in my head, I was first saying like they didn't need to show this. This is lazy, or this is or this is a waste of time. But then I, after you realize that all the things they show you, it's it's kind of like oh, this is actually charming. This yeah. is the way this movie's put together. Like this is actually pretty great. Cool. Well, that's my best supporting. Let's move to hidden gem. The hidden gem. This could be a, a minor cast member or just an element, something you notice that maybe you n- nobody else would. Uh, Matt, hidden gem. I'm going to have to go with John Cleese. Yes. Uh, he is the hidden gem of this movie. His short time on the screen is is just fun and refreshing. And uh, is he bad? Is he good? He seems more bad than good, but I just love how he's played. And um, the little tongue-in-cheek opening line. The gun that he's using is a very unique gun in Westerns. It, he's it's the only time it's ever been depicted. Yeah. He's from across the pond. And yet he's all the way out west. I just, I think he's a, a fun little moment in the film. Give me some more detail on this gun. What, what are you talking about? I, I was not paying attention. I think I was paying attention to the fine china in that saloon. 
when I was not noticing the gun. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't have the specific name, but it's an English revolver, so it was fitting for an Englishman. Oh. And it's literally the only time as of whatever IMDb's internet facts, which the internet is never wrong, said it's the only time it's ever been displayed on the big screen. That's great. I, yeah, I had no idea. Uh, well, yeah, cool hidden gem with uh, with Cleese. I, I was... I, I thought the the last thing I think it happens is when was when they get away from that town Turley Turney Turley I believe mm-hmm. and uh, he says uh, I, what what is what is his, his like posse member says like uh, hey we can go after him uh, th- that that guy's not hitting us and he says uh, no he's hit everything he's aimed for showing yeah. that even though he's from across the pond he knows like the skills of the people in this hard land. Mm-hmm. Today my jurisdiction ends here. <laughs> yes. Pick up my hat. <laughs> yeah, that's Pick right. Up my hat. Yes. That's right. Pick up my hat. Hidden gem for you, Chad. I'm going with Richard Jenkins. He played Kelly. I thought he did a great job of rushing in and dying well. So he is the guy that Cobb shoots for Payton to wind up. Yeah, Payton. That right. sets, sets up Payton's job as Cobb's lackey. But yeah, he was kind of fun of. I didn't recognize him until later when I was reading about on IMDb. I was like, oh, that's who that is. Yeah. I needed you just now to remind me who he was in the movie because I remember seeing his name. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember his name is in there. I don't, I, and I had forgotten that that's what he was. I think, um, yeah, Richard Jenkins great in everything that he does. I think I really like him in Burn After Reading. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, my hidden gem is actually uh, a slightly a callback to uh, the Blade Runner episode. Uncredited in this movie is Brian Jones. Brian Jones, one of the replicants in Blade Runner, but in this movie, he is Hobart. He is the guy that's uh, kind of heading up the wagon train to head to Silverado. And he's the one that when you when you first hear him, are you Baxter and Holly? Where the hell's Baxter and Holly? And like, I'm sitting here on my couch. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Where is Baxter and Holly? I, I thought like, this guy, this guy was like, I don't know why he was uncredited. He's he's got several lines, more lines than I think some of the people in the opening credits do. And uh I just I I like him and I think every chance I get to see uh Brian Jones in um in a movie, he's going to get my hidden gem uh, forever. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Like that was a great scene. Yeah. All right, this is always a tough one. Um this one takes the most thought from me, I think. Beforehand, this is our uh recast. Who would you choose to recast? Uh, you gotta, you gotta choose someone, and you gotta pick the replacement. Matt, who's your choice? So originally, Gene Hackman was uh, cast for this movie. Mm-hmm. So, and by the way, this is a very hard question to answer. The recast <laughs> question. So when I You're found right. out that Gene Hackman was didn't get the role in the film, whatever it was going to be, I would recast him. And you're not going to like this. I apologize. I would recast him as the villain. Yeah. I, Brian Dennehy. That's what I would put him as, too. He's a great He'd villain. be great as it. Yeah, he, he'd be great as it. As as Cobb. Yeah. 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 So I'd give him I'd give him the Cobb role. He's in... Which other... He's a bad guy in another Western. Well, The Quick and the Dead. Isn't he the bad guy in that? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's a bad guy in another Western we've done. But yeah, he makes a great bad guy, even if he's Lex Luthor. Right. All right. So yeah, and and I mean, I think Dennehy did a great job, but that doesn't mean that Hackman 
very well known as a super uh, A-list actor for decades, uh, wouldn't do a great job as well. Right. I, I do not want the Robert De Niro casting, though. I, I do <laughs> not want him in this movie. Yeah. Who was he supposed to be? They didn't say, but it, yeah, it was Gene Hackman, Robert De Niro. Just like and I, there was another one. He was supposed I to be JT. Was. He was supposed to be JT, and like JT had a good role, and like he was interesting. <laughs> Instead, they picked like yeah. a guy that looks like an egg. I don't know the background of every single person, but uh, that's that's a bit too Italian for a western. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so your choice is is not Robert De Niro. What was the uh, recast? This was an easy one for me. It was Jeff Goldblum with Slick. I This was just a huge miscast. And I think I can actually address one of our earlier complaints. Because the first thing I thought of was, I want Benicio Del Toro in this role. I think, I think we can get some Latino representation. Okay. We can also get... Benicio is threatening, but also he can do the scumbag type. Yeah. So when he's hitting on Ray and... You know, peeking at the cards and everything, he can do humor. That's who I want. That's good idea. really good. I wish I would have thought of that, because I was looking for someone like him to play a little unhinged. Not as slick. I think slick overall kind of fails. I don't know who you put in there. It needs to be, uh, some major adjustments need to be put in for uh, Calvin or slick. Uh, for me, the recast is Tyree. Um, I, I, somebody, mm, yeah. somebody aside from Jeff mm. Fahey, unlucky guy that's going to get my ire, you know, uh, 25 years later, 35 years later, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. I've been bad with numbers recently. I, I don't think, I don't think he stands out. I think you need a named henchman to be menacing, unhinged, um, a little off somehow, not sure how you do it. Uh, somebody from today that could play that well, uh, would be Jimmy Simpson. He is known in uh, the Westworld uh, TV show. He's the uh, he's okay. the blonde yeah. lead, the the um, his main character, and then he's also he plays one of the McPoyles in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a really unhinged guy, and having having a henchman that's like like if you're gonna have a risky good guy, you need to have a risky bad guy. Maybe you need to see him like shoot. Oh, I hate this. It's almost this, this is coming out of my mouth. You need to see him like shoot a kid. Or like, 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 like <laughs> yeah. do something really like wild, where he gets reprimanded by the boss. Like, you, you need to, you know, tighten it up or whatever. Yeah. Um. But I was thinking of who at that time would fit because Jimmy Simpson was, I think, um, a toddler at that point. And so I would <laughs> go with uh, Crispin Glover. Crispin okay. Glover yeah, could play a reserved kind of on the edge at at the at the at any moment could snap type of uh, person. But I was just looking for someone, and you, Benicio del Toro is great. So you win. I'm just going to say that you win that one. <laughs> um, Fair enough. You need somebody like in Tombstone who uh, faces off against Doc Holliday. I don't remember the guy's name. Okay. The, yeah. the number two villain in Tombstone. Yeah, we need someone like that. We, and, and, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's not It's not like I felt like the movie failed. I just feel like that would have made it better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, less eyeliner on your number two villain. <laughs> yes, less eyeliner. Let's go with the best shot. A lot, of, a lot of shots, a lot of bullets in this movie. Let's go with the best one, uh, Matt. For me, this was easy. Kevin Costner, final scene, rides into town. Um, here, boys, or whatever he hollers out, goes into the bar, bangs into the bar so they'll all know he's there. <laughs> the villains come in, then they can't find him in the bar, so they go out. Kevin Costner has removed his boots while he's hiding under the bar. <laughs> So that he can jump back over the bar <laughs> in just his socks, 
and sneak up. And then this classic, like, pulls both six shooters out, fires them to his right and his left, and kills both men. That was a great wide-angle shot, yeah. Oh, it's just a classic, great, great scene. I love it. I did not appreciate the removing boots for socks. That's great content. Yeah, first I'm thinking, who's directing this, Tarantino? So <laughs> so here's a little little trivia for you. Kevin Costner is uh, sleeping the night before he films this scene, and in a dream, he realizes he should take his boots off while he's under the bar. So he shows up to shoot the scene the next day, tells the director this is what the character would do, and so it makes it in the film. That that is great trivia. Love when stuff like that. The other bit of trivia that Costner shares in an interview is uh, Kasdan, right? I see his name yep. right. Mm-hmm. Kasdan tells him uh, after you shoot the two guys, you smile because you're Jake. You're always <laughs> you're Jake, so you smile. And Kevin Costner put his foot down and said, "No, he just killed two men. Nobody smiles after they kill two men. He brings some humanity to Jake, and so he doesn't smile." So which either makes his character given his character is more complex um, than than originally planned because um, it's like why does you know I thought Jake was always happy but look at Jake after he just shot those guys he's not smiling but anyways I think I would have preferred the smile yeah because I like the simple funny happy Jake but anyway that's my favorite scene that is some nuance I. I feel like Cobb was grinning like a butcher's dog after he shot Kelly, though. He was he was pretty proud of himself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was. Yeah, even when he's saying we got to clean up this mess. Um, and also, uh, although that shot is great, it's such a it's it's like a chump way for Tyree to go down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I do agree with that. He should have gotten a better yeah, ending. Absolutely. Uh, best shot for you, Chad. There were so many that it, this was a. This was probably the hardest thing for me to pick, but I think what I'm going to go with, the low to the ground shot during the stampede with all the cattle running towards it and they break the gate, I was so impressed by that, and I don't know if they just buried the camera to get that shot or what. I'm a simpleton. (laughs) I'm just looking at that and thinking, you know, clearly we didn't risk a cameraman's life for this i i hope not this wasn't ben hur back in the day but wow you know it it was a great shot yeah that makes me rethink because all the shots with the animals are are so good but yeah that's that's a really good one for me it is what you mentioned earlier it's when uh malachi when when emmett is kind of getting up out of bed like all right call to action i'm hurt but i can still do this and he hands him like a belt like uh, he hands him a, like a a holster that you're going to need this. And that's when Mal has his two rivals in his hand and they pull back slightly and he goes, this ought to do. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure in my house, uh, they heard me go like, hell yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That that was the exact reaction they were going for. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So uh, best scene uh, overall, best scene. Let's go with Matt, your option. Yeah, and I think I may have flip-flopped these two questions, but uh, I'm going to go with four abreast on the horses riding into Silverado. Um, that was a great tight shot of the horses' faces. Yeah, yeah they're just, each of them, you, you, with just a short build-up, you know each character, and they're, you know, they're riding into town, and it's just a great, great moment, great shot. 
That is that is a great shot too. Yeah, it's it's funny. Sometimes we just say out loud, "Oh, there's so many great shots for real in this movie. For real, so many good movies." Oh yeah. Best scene for you, John Cleese. I have to get him in here somewhere. His scene in the saloon. He's not quite the bad guy. Not quite the good guy, but he is kicking Danny Glover out. He's putting Carter in his place. He's like, I don't like that word around here when Carter has used a slur. Uh, he's he's threatening, and I kind of like threatening John Cleese, but he's still got a little bit of that comedy in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the small amount of time he's on is very good. For me, uh, it is the scene in the canyon, the the the... The gambit in the can in the canyon when they uh, when Emmett runs in and attempts to trick the bandits away from the money they've stolen. Yes, and it works. At, <laughs> it's because it works that it's good to me. I'm thinking like in any context, like this guy comes running through. The lookout doesn't do a good job of saying if he recognizes this person or not. He just says, "Coming in," and y- you <laughs> see like fifteen guys reach for their guns. In a world of quick draw and, like, shoot first, ask questions later. And this guy just runs in and tells this story about, yeah, we did a bank job. They're coming this way. These two guys know me. And with plenty of time, they're like, yeah, we saw this guy, but we didn't know about a bank job. They all just kind of believe it. Like, it shouldn't have happened, but that it happened. They free all the horses. They get the money back. Hannah's husband conveniently dies. That's what makes it a great scene. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do appreciate that the bad guys were like, I don't think there's a posse up there. I think it's just a couple of guys. Like, they, they kind of knew what was up. It was just too late to stop it. I don't think it was too late to stop it. I think any of them could have just plugged <laughs> Emmett right then and there. But for, but he had, some, he had some hero armor on, I would say. Um, That's fine. Okay, so those are their scenes. Best wardrobe, best makeup of the movie, something that stood out to you, Matt. I think the wardrobe is really good in this film, too. But I, each of the characters is in a wardrobe that distinguishes them. But I'm going to go with... I, I can't pinpoint the scene. Emmett has this winter coat on. And later you see the kid in his yeah. coat. I love that jacket. It's like a classic mountain. Keep you warm in the winter. It fits Emmett perfectly. And I, I love that jacket. I love the color of that jacket. Yeah, it, it, um, absolutely. I know that jacket you're talking about. What about you, Chad? I thought Ray's wardrobe was really well done. It, they never outright say what she's doing. There's certainly implication. But the clothing kind of gives it away. I think we all know what she's doing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, she's taking, she's taking was, gambling classes. Yes, that's <laughs> she was watching Slick very closely. But that's that's the type of wardrobe you want to see in those saloon type settings. So she was she was that classic character and she still managed to bring a little bit of class to the role. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Uh for me, uh it is actually Slick's coat. I I love Oh I love no. It. Uh I, I love it. It had no place. <laughs> in this movie but um honestly i was thinking of all the of the jackets i know that um i know that mal wears like that red scarf around his neck which i like Um, yeah yeah i like seeing peak danny glover instead of aging danny glover Uh, so that that red scarf matt like i thought that looked good on him but the um Mm -hmm. yeah the uh stan hopes uh 
whole getup I thought I really liked. And because you don't know exactly what he's about you, if you've seen the movie before you do. But I was just kind of hoping like, ooh, are we going to add a little bit of fashion to the posse? Nah. No, no. <laughs> He was one cane away from being a pimp. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mr. Pimp, Western Pimp. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's mine. Uh, we got a couple. We got a couple left to go through. Instead of just a recast, what would you change about this movie? Change one thing. Uh, what would that be for you, Matt? Well, I may answer it differently, but because uh, you guys have brought up some good points, particularly with the uh, number two villain, but I'm going to go with. Resolve the dog. <laughs> so I feel like Kevin Klein had such an opportunity. Maybe it's when they're standing face to face in the street. Kevin Klein could give some kind of a closing comment to finish the dog loop out. Or maybe it's in the final scene when he's the sheriff. The dog's dead, man. Yes, yes, yes. But Kevin <laughs> Klein, I felt like he could have. There was a line that didn't get written where he can close that resolve the dog thing, like just with one last liner that makes him look good. So resolve the dog is what I would say. <laughs> that's that's really good. That's a really good option. I would want that. I need that. I was thinking the whole time it was like, it wasn't a dog. It was like a kid or like a woman that they were referring to someone else. That was tagging mm-hmm. along, and they didn't want. I, I and because there's no resolution, we truly don't know. That's a really good change. Man, you are just determined for a kid to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bad guy. Why don't you shoot a kid? Why couldn't the dog be a kid? I'm like Dustin is desperate. Doggy, doggy. Why did you live? <laughs> <laughs> it's a stupid name. Kid deserves to die. Okay, no, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, that let's not have that be the thing that I'm known for. And now it has been solidified that that is what I'll be known for. Chad, what's your thing that you would change? I want more John Cleese. I don't know how. I just want him to show back up and complicate things. I know it already got complicated. I don't care. I just (laughs) run back into John Cleese somewhere. And you kind of feel as if if these towns, like like if you had to go back or, or in between towns that like maybe... Cleese and some boys would be on like maybe waiting for them somewhere or like set up something but I would like that as well for me too many of these kids survived y'all <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, the right amount of kids survived in this movie I, th- I think what it is is um there's uh, something about the the ending the action in the end I felt was really muted the action at the outpost like not, outpost isn't the right word like kind of the stronghold where the McCormicks are seemed Mm -hmm. the pace was awesome for an ending and i know that the movie could not have ended there and while we did have some cool stuff with the the shootout in the or i guess not a shootout what do you call a western duel like a quick draw duel is it just a duel yeah yeah quick draw yeah yeah on the street yeah Yeah, so that between cobb and and kevin klein uh my lost his name payton that was great the shot the shot between that had uh, that had Jake shooting the two from the the corner was awesome, uh, and there were some cool scenes. I, I thought the in between Emmett and that one McCormick was clunky and bad, and then the rest of the pacing there was just a, like it seemed like instead of racing to the finish that we slowed down, that we took our our foot off the gas a little bit, and I just wish that it had been st- like a little more fast paced or 
put together better. That That's truly it. I liked so much about this movie, but like as far as the end, I feel as if we we lost some momentum towards the end. And when it comes to like um, how your brain processes things, you, you think about the peak of what you watched, and then you always think about the end. And sometimes the end trumps what the peak of what your enjoyment was. And so I, I remember having to kind of think to myself, like, this was a fun movie just because you didn't love some of how it ended doesn't mean you didn't like the movie. So that was just something I thought about was was just the pace of the end. Um, the outcome of the end was good, mm-hmm. just the pacing was weird. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's finished with some awesome quotes. Best quote of the movie, Matt. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with the outlaws in the canyon. I love that interaction. It makes me laugh out loud when I watch it. The one outlaw says, brave man. And then the guy's voice is what makes it. He's got the gruffest <laughs> sounding voice I've ever heard. I think I think there's just a couple of guys up there and this a-hole is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such it's so, and he was it's right. a great line. Yeah, that was funny, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one, Chad. I'm going with Stella's line. Good people are being hurt because of me. That makes me mad. Some people think because they're stronger or meaner that they can push you around. I've seen a lot of that, but it's only true if you let it be. The world is what you make of it. Very good. Cool scene. One other, another place where she, not, I'm not going to say surprises you, but like her presence is just like, wow, awesome. That was a great quote. For me, it was a, not quite a combat quote, but a, a kind of a threat or an intimidation when, um, when Mal shows up to when Emmett is being beaten when he's caught by the two lassos. And he has the, he has, he shoots one of them, I believe. And he's got the gun in his hand. And he goes, I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead. <laughs> As he start he I, starts his parlay. That's a, yeah. but that's true and awesome and threatening, intimidating. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's like, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he says that too. Let's go from something short, which is these quotes, to our overall rating of this movie whether or not you would recommend it. We do use star system. Uh, half a star is the worst you can go. Five is the best. Half star increments. Matt, rate this movie. It's one of my all-time uh, favorite westerns. I have to give it five stars. I, it's hard to find a better western with all the elements that we've discussed. Action-packed, no long dry spells. It's just everything you want in your classic western. With the originality and the humor that isn't necessarily typical. So, yeah, for me, it's a fiver, but I'm a, I'm a Western fan, and this is at the top of the list for Westerns for me. Wow. Five stars. And, and I mean, I think maybe the highest praise is that you own this movie. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Yes, that's correct. I wish I could remember how I came to own it, but I'm sure it was a gift. You, o- you open up your DVD box and it's gone. <gasps> all right chad your rating i'm gonna go with a four if if not entirely because of jeff goldblum but largely because of it usually he he doesn't detract from a movie but yeah there there were a couple things that i'm just like okay this this is weighting down what would be an otherwise great movie i didn't feel threatened by tyree at all um again jared leto knockoff that was probably some of it but great action, great camaraderie, great music, great scenery, wonderful movie. 
Western isn't my genre, but I'm very happy I saw this, and I would definitely recommend it to everyone, Western fan or otherwise. I would watch this movie uh, upon recommendation faster than I would rewatch something like Tombstone. This, this, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think hmm. so. Um, I would watch this movie again before uh, 310 to Yuma. As far as Westerns mm-hmm. go, I really like The Hateful Eight. Really like The Hateful Eight. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it beats that for me, but for me, this is a four. And I think what I tend to do is uh, I look at like what an average movie would be, which is like a three. Uh, and this is clearly better than that. I was I was enjoying every bit of it. We, I, we got the Western stuff we wanted. I did find, I, I don't know if I would even say action-packed. I think it was Matt said action-packed. The action is appropriate. There's a good amount of action. There are some movies where it's really like, 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 Double stuff Oreo action packed is like Mad Max Fury Road, right? <laughs> and this isn't that, but it's a good amount of a- of action and a good amount of like the camaraderie, the friendship, these people coming together. Uh, some of it's cheesy. Mal says to I think Payton, like right before they ride into Silverado that last time, it takes twenty seconds of screen time where he goes, "Hey, Payton, what? Good luck." That does. That's nothing. <laughs> And, and so, okay, and so little things like that sometimes get in the way, but I do like that these, they're not friends, like other movies have like long lasting friendships there. They're working together. They have that special cowboy friendship and us talking about it, including the soundtrack had me when I started the, the, the podcast, this was a, um, this was barely a three and a half, but it's a, it's a four. I've, I've been I've been uh, galvanized into realizing how much I like this movie by talking about it. Excellent. Yeah, and that's that's great. This this was a fun watch, and I wasn't kidding about like rewatching this one before some of these other more high profile westerns. I'm glad that we had it as a as a pick. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, it was a, it was fun to rewatch and and to share uh, this experience, highlighting it. Now, speaking of picks, we've got to pick a movie for next time. We've got three options here. We are going to be in another genre specific. I wonder if you can, you at home can guess what guess what genre we are. Uh, option one, I know what you did last summer, 1997. Four young friends bound by a tragic accident are reunited when they find themselves being stalked by a hook-wielding maniac in their small seaside town. Option two, Halloween Resurrection from 2002. Three years after he last terrorized his sister, Michael Myers confronts her again, before traveling to Haddonfield to deal with the cast and crew of a reality show which is being broadcast from his old home. And option three, Scream, from 1996. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer, who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Chad, what are we going to pick for next time? I can't imagine a reality where I would ever pick Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> the, the the obvious choice is Scream. We're doing Scream. Oh, finally, teenagers getting killed. I mean, I was going to say something else. Uh, that's right. Uh, on to the outro. Okay, well, hey, Matt, thank you for coming and guesting on, and I really liked having your insight about the Western genre. Yes. Thank you. It was fun to be here. Great. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. 
Remember, producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening, be good to each other, and watch more movies. Chad? You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people with the land. The common clay of the New West. You know, morons.